Well, have a seat, everyone. We are talking about surrender together love. And under love, um, if you want to look at these, by the way, they're on your app, and it's under uh, pathway, I believe is what it is. But And you can dig through, like when I'm talking about surrender together love, it's actually a thing on your app. Oh, I'm all checked in. And um, you go down to toolkit, and it's this blue one up here, guidebook, and then there's the spiritual habits. And surrender to love is described on there if you want to see what I'm talking about as a big scheme. So, but under love, we're talking about hospitality uh, this morning. So we're digging into that. So, hey, Wendy, I'm going to pull a fast one on you, and the stuff I said we were going to do at the end that we came up with this morning, we're going to do right now. Okay, so that means a couple of pictures. So speaking of hospitality around here, so check out the cruise ship charcuterie board for breakfast this morning. Did you guys, did everybody get to participate in this sort of thing? Like, and I think the rest of it's out there in the lobby. But this is an act of hospitality that goes on around here uh, a, a lot. And, um, but these kind of, I don't know, just like the art comes out. So it's super cool. You know, you didn't even really want to touch it. So, uh, but of course we all did. So, um, but it was a lot of fun. So it's people using gifts uh, to serve other people. And, uh, and then we have another slide because Jason Leahy, our facility director on staff, see all these boxes? They're full of furniture for our lobby, you know, because if you notice, we've been really working hard on our hospitality out in the lobby and uh, redoing things and spending money and all that sort of thing. And so if you have a deep affection for little Ikea hex wrenches, uh, then this is your ticket. You could put together furniture and do click all day long. Uh, so, um, but he was kind of looking for some help on this. So Thursday night, there's a facility team. And if you got on the app and look through groups, there's a facility team. And they come up and they do all sorts of things. They paint, they, they build stuff, they do carpentry, you know. So it's a really a fun deal. So anyway, all those boxes are full of super cool hip furniture that's all going out in the lobby. Uh, at least it's the first installment of it. So love it if you guys pitched in on that sort of thing. So hospitality looks like that around here. Matter of fact, just to digress slightly, you know, we, we had two services and the pandemic sort of killed us off, right? I mean, I'm sorry, that was the wrong way of putting it, but uh, made us decrease in numbers is what I meant to say around here. So, um, so uh, but I've kind of realized that on Sunday morning, there's a whole life that goes on well before we're all in service here together. And people come together and we serve and there's a gathering, there's worship in here. Like, did you know that? And so everybody out there serving kind of gets a little miniature worship service, and then the food goes on. So people are breaking bread together. There's a meal that happens. They're serving one another. They're serving you right now if you have children and so forth and the students and all that. There's a whole life that goes on on Sunday morning. It's almost like we have a second service going on, like a first service that happens, um, without really calling it like an official service. And I just thought that was really interesting I guess you could categorize it as, as church, at least as hospitality that goes on around here. And it just precipitated without a lot of uh, energy and focus and planning to it. I mean, obviously, all that filled in. It's just a super cool thing in, as we talk about hospitality. The church just does hospitality. It just goes there on its own because it's a people gathered. And uh, the people do the work of, the, of each other. So it's good stuff. Anyway. All right, so that sort of preamble. So we, we jump into the scriptures here, and if you want to open up your Bible, you go to the New Testament to the book called Hebrews. It's not a letter. It's actually really a sermon probably, uh, or at least a teaching, and we don't know who the author is. But you go to Hebrews chapter 13, 
and um, a very, very good passage in this teaching here. So here's a challenging instruction from one of the most sophisticated books in the New Testament. It probably is the most sophisticated um, um, theology in it, teaching, the whole paradigm of it's really quite thick and uh, really helpful. So we call it the Hebrews, and so here's the last chapter, um, chapter 13. And it says this, let mutual love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that, some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those who are in prison, as though you were in prison with them, those who are being tortured. Remember, this is first century Roman Empire, and Christians are being tortured. As though you yourselves are being tortured. Then let marriage be held in honor by all, and let the marriage bed be kept undefiled, for God will judge fornicators and adulterers. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. So we can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. Who can, uh, what can anyone do to me? Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 through 6. So here you have six short verses, quite pithy and quite punchy, you know, uh, instructions. There's, it's not some big theologizing. It's very, very practical. And, uh, and frankly... For the 21st century people, it's quite offensive <laughs> if you think about it. I mean, listen to what it's saying. Like, this is not polite sort of stuff. This is like getting your face sort of thing. Uh, the ideas of free freedom and liberality and free choice and I've got to be me and love and all that sort of thing. This, this really doesn't have a whole lot of uh, wiggle room on it. The first church understands love as serious and intense because people's lives depended upon it. This was life and death situation. Hospitality and love was, was not something cheap and artificial. It was very, very practical and very, very serious. So look again at the challenging passage, and you'll notice how radical the church's love is supposed to be. One, show hospitality to strangers. Why? Because you might be entertaining angels. Who knows what the theology on that whole th sort of thing is? But they certainly expected God to be everywhere. In other words, see people everywhere with a spiritual eyesight, right? See everyone as heavenly beings, because who knows, some might actually be angels, messengers from heaven. Maybe not the angels the way you and I think about it, but maybe they're just actually people who actually have something divine to say. That's love, isn't it? Show hospitality. Around here, we have welcoming the stranger, where we uh, set up homes for refugees who come into the Kansas City area, and we're a part of that whole network, and we just pull out money and we all gather together furniture and we go and set a whole home up for a family who comes has absolutely nothing and uh when the call goes out you guys all show up it's a very very cool thing so um people can you imagine the trauma that people have been through who have been cast out of their home and maybe lived in a camp for years and years and years and what's happened to their children and so forth those are some brave people out there man and so we come on and we, we try and give them a life here uh, in a foreign country so they can survive. So we do that. Second thing in this passage then is some Christians are already imprisoned for their faith at this time. And it still goes on. Some, and I'm going to get to that in a moment. Some are being tortured even still. So love them as though you were with them there in, scripture, I mean in, in prison. What's it mean? You take them food, you take them clothing, you take them bedding, you take first aid. You don't forget that you may find yourself being tortured for your face someday. Because in the Roman Empire, um, there were no three meals a day. There was nothing. If 
you, you just died and rotted in prison if you didn't have friends who came and actually gave you things, uh, everything from bedding to clothing to any medical need, but food, uh, water, the whole bit. So uh, that's the way it worked. I think the Romans were kind of counting on the fact that people did not have friends to help them, uh, and that kind of reduced their prison population. So um, three in this passage, marriage is holy union, a holy covenant. Adultery, fornication is contrary to the marriage covenant. And in an age of free love, with our current love uh, really quite low on marriage these days, and the voices of the sexual revolution still ringing in our ears from the past few decades, um, love, and that the idea of fidelity, and that marriage is a holy union, and a covenant made with God. It's not a contract, it's a covenant. And so therefore, you know, throw that out there when we uh, have all that sort of thing going on these days. Fourth, keep your lives free from the love of money. And be content with what you have. Hasn't this always been true? Money equals safety and security, and we'd rather trust that than anything in heaven, right? So isn't this as well love as, as, as well? People need to worry about their, their needs, and we're supposed to trust God. Be free from the domination of money, from the idolatry of it. Four instructions, hospitality to strangers. Live as though you're in prison and tortured for your faith, just like some of the people were and are even. Keep marriage holy and be content with what you have. Simple instructions, straight ahead. Which of the four, you know, I'll just ask you this morning, which of the four is most challenging to you right now? Which one's most offending? Because these are, you know, offensive statements to 21st century ears. They are, you know, and they're not comfortable. They're pretty itchy. On the whole thing. Which one? Which of the four offends you the most? Divorcees, how are you feeling when you hear this sort of thing? Uh, law enforcement, military, feeling like Christians are being kind toward lawbreakers? Is this talking about allowing immigrants into the country? Money. Should we downsize, drive one car, get rid of the boat, not take a vacation, give the money away to the poor? Truly, this is an equally offensive passage. You know, there's something uncomfortable here for everyone, pretty much. And if you're not sitting there, you know, listening with these instructions with your arms folded and your, and your brow furrowed and saying, like, well, I don't know about that, then you're really not taking the word of God seriously or you're on your phone looking for a new church. Um, so, uh, because this is really quite offensive stuff. But we are talking about love. We're talking about love. Love has become this sort of squishy word, this sentimental sort of greeting card sort of thing, tossed around, overused, worn out, and threadbarren to the point where it has pretty much nothing to say. But not here. Not in Scripture. Love. Love is tangible. Love, that most uncomfortable English word in the, in the English language. If it's Christian, it offends. If it's Christian, it offends. Because Christian, Christian love goes to a cross on behalf of someone else. Who may not even care about him. Christian love participates in the struggle of others. Just like God coming to earth and Jesus, strugglers or strangers, the imprisoned and the tortured, the poor. Suppose you can toss married people into this category as strugglers. You're like, amen. Do you hear the Bible reaching deep out to these, uh, re reaching deep into these strugglers' lives? Do you hear the Bible here instructing the church to be moral and upright because love counts on it? Strangers, prisons, marriage, money. All of these things have traction when it comes to love. All of them are pointed. All of them are measurable. 
Christian love costs. It's not cheap. I want to show you a photograph, uh, some photographs of our friend, Pastor John Wood. He's been here many times. This is uh, Pastor John, and um, he's in his sixth year in his prison sentence in China. He, he was arrested because he was going around the border into Myanmar taking uh, food, water, and books to uh, people who were running away from war. And it was too long of a line, and uh, he went around the thing, and they arrested him. They didn't actually like the idea of him helping these people in Myanmar, these refugees, who were mostly children, by the way. And so he's serving a seven-year sentence. I wonder if he'll be back here someday. I wonder if we'll be ready for Pastor John when he shows up. I wonder what he would say to us. I don't think we'll have to wonder. Christian love costs. Now, I say this because Pastor John's not exactly sort of a lightweight. You know, he, he's rather in your face. And he's exactly the sort of person uh, who would do this sort of thing and pay the price for it and see God in the entire things. Um, so um, we have to constantly be praying for John. I pray for him every week and think about him. Sometimes I write in my journal on John. Um, but I've been praying about John and um, just wondering if you guys would as well, you know, that you'd be saying, holy, 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 you know, Lord God Almighty, you know, who was and is it is to come. And just keep him in your prayers. He writes these beautiful poetry. We, were, we put a piece up of it uh, here a couple, three weeks ago. Very, very cool. But I don't think, um, I don't know. I just think it would be very interesting when John gets back here what he's going to say to us. Is it going to be sweet and nice and saintly? Or is he going to say, like, let's get on with the thing, man. Let's get to work on the whole deal. Pay the price. All that sort of deal. So yeah, I, uh, Garrett and I, I don't know if Marty was there or not. But John was talking to us one time about discipleship. And he said this young American man came to him and said uh, to Pastor John, said, would you disciple me? He said, sure. So here's what you need to do before I'll disciple you. He said, uh, first, stop spending so much on fancy ball caps. Uh, it's a waste of money. Stop eating fast food. You're overweight and fast food costs too much anyway. Get a better job and move out of your mother's basement. Do those things and then I'll disciple you. Come follow me. I'll have you fish for others. <laughs> Drop your nets. So John is not to be trifled with. So when I think of Pastor John, it makes me think of John the Baptist, who was also imprisoned, named John. And while in prison, he sent word to Jesus, are you the one, the long-expected Messiah? Are you the real thing? It's like a throwdown statement to Jesus Christ. You know, like, are, are you going to look like the real Messiah? Now, John had in his head what he thought the Messiah was supposed to look like right? Jesus answers back, not to be undone. Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is anyone who takes no offense at me. Oh, okay. Well, you know, it's like game on here, you know? I mean, Jesus comes back and says, well, I'm raising the dead, John. What are you doing? I don't think that's really what he means by the thing, but Jesus turns to the crowd then and he says about John. He says, what would you go out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? Just a nothing? 
That's John Wood, Pastor John Wood, too. Not a reed shaken by the wind. And Jesus throws down the gauntlet on the thing and says, you will have to love much stronger than all of us. So now I ask you, Lakeland, what do you think love requires of us? Hospitality requires us to go to places like China or like Jamaica later in the summer. That's what love requires. It requires us to take care of refugees, to give up things, to give money away, to give up things like living a licentious lifestyle, to help us help people who, who, uh, who don't even trust us with money to validate Christianity. Strangers, prisoners, marriage, be content with what you have. Christian hospitality is not about just being nice to people you'd already be nice to. That's just being a good human. No, Christian hospitality is a throwdown challenge to live entirely different than anybody else around you, to go well beyond into a radical love, a moral love, and a countercultural love. It should be offensive to the secular mind, not as its own goal, but simply because it goes too far for everyone's comfortableness. It's too helpful. It's too loving. It's been a, a while uh, since I read this poem that uh, Chris Lee actually pointed out to me a few years ago. And it's a poem I used to do when I was doing youth ministry back in the day. And it's called I Stand by the Door. Have you ever heard of this poem called I Stand by the Door? Uh, so I'm going to read it to you. And it's a great reminder of what we're all supposed to be doing as followers of Jesus Christ. So here it is, this poem. I stand by the door. I neither go too far in nor go too far out. The door is the most important door in the world. It is the door through which men and women walk when they find God. There is no use in my going way inside and staying there when so many are still outside. And as as much as I, I crave it, I know where the door is. And all that so many ever find it, only the wall where the door is ought to be. And they creep along the wall like blind beggars with outstretched and groping hands, feeling for a door, knowing that there must be a door, and yet they never find it. So I stand by the door. And the most tremendous thing in the world is for men and women to find that door, the door to God. The most important thing they can do is with their groping hands is to find that handle on the door. So I stand by the door. Go in, great saints. Go in all the way. Go way down into the cavernous cellar and way up into the spacious attic. It is a vast and roomy house where God is. Go into the deepest hidden casements of withdrawal, of silence, of sainthood. Some must inhabit those inner rooms and know the depths and the heights of God and call out to the rest of us how wonderful it is. Sometimes I take a deeper look in and sometimes venture in a little further, but my place seems to be close to the opening. So I stand by the door. I admire the people who go away in, but I wish they would not forget how it was before they got in that they would be able to help the people who have not yet even found the door. You can go in too deeply and stay too long and forget the people outside the door. For me, I shall take my old accustomed place near enough to God to hear him and know that he is there, but not so far from men and women as to not hear them and remember that they are there too. Where? Where are they? Outside the door. 
thousands of them, millions of them, most important for me, one of them, two of them, ten of them, whose hands I intend to put onto the latch. And so I shall stand by the door and wait for those who seek it. And I'd rather be a doorkeeper. So I stand at the door. I stand at the door. It's by Samuel Moore Shoemaker. And maybe that's us. And maybe that's what Scripture tells us. And that's what Jesus Christ demonstrated. And John the Baptist. And all the disciples who went before us. All that Christian witness that says, stand by the door. Show hospitality. Let love be radical. Let it be a force that can't be denied. And we'll change the world during the one lifetime that you and I have been given. And that will be the most important thing. So that someday when you stand before the Lord Jesus, John will be over there somewhere. And, you know, and he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. You fought the fight of love. You showed hospitality. Someday John will be with us, Pastor John. And it'll be like entertaining an angel unaware. I wonder what the message will be. And we'll have our own experience with the thing. Amen.